great to be together today to worship God together, the God that we've been studying about in our Sunday morning class, who is so magnificent and in control, and the Lamb that we remembered His death, who is victorious, who's going about to conquer and to conquer. We're worshiping that God, and we need to be reminded of that, and it's so good to be able to do it together today. Thank you for being here to be a part of it. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, one of the things that you'll notice likely is the strong Niagara River that drains water out of Lake Erie and flows over Niagara Falls. When I've been there and observed that river and that raging river, I've had thoughts about what would it be like if I happened to be trapped in that river headed towards Niagara Falls. As terrifying as that idea would be of being in that river and going down those falls, shockingly, many people have done that intentionally, haven't they? And we've seen the stories of the people who, well, I guess the only way you could adequately describe them is as crazy. The crazy people who have put themselves in barrels and tried to float over Niagara Falls. And some have done it, but many have not would be a terrifying thing. On Saturday afternoon, July 9th, 1960, a man from Niagara Falls, New York, took two children out on a boat ride in the Niagara River. They were some distance away from the falls, but the boat that they were in developed motor troubles, and unable to navigate the boat anymore, they were at the mercy of the current in the Niagara River, and it's an incredible current. And that current caused the boat that they were in to capsize, throwing all three of them into the Niagara River. The man went over Niagara Falls and died. The two children, however, suffered a different fate. One of the children on board was 17-year-old Deanne Woodward. She floated to within 20 feet of the edge of Niagara Falls, and two men from New Jersey worked together to grasp arms together and pull her from the raging river. She grabbed a hold of one of them. One of the seven-year-old Roger Woodward wasn't rescued, and he went over the edge of Horseshoe Falls wearing a life jacket. And amazingly, he survived the fall and was plucked from the pool below Niagara Falls by the Maid of the Mist's tourist boat had just made its turn after taking the tourist up into the falls. They saw Roger go over, and they pulled him out of the water. And he survived with only a slight concussion and lived to tell about the story. Drifting in the waters above Niagara Falls is dangerous and terrifying. I wouldn't have been like that man who took his boat into that river at all. I wouldn't get anywhere near that river in a boat because it is dangerous. But I'm going to tell you, drifting anywhere is dangerous. This morning, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 that Joseph just read for us, and talk about the dangers of drifting. Drifting is dangerous. And I hesitate to bring up or to talk about this this morning because we talked about it Wednesday night and I don't want to 
give the impression that Mark didn't do a good job in class or that I need to recover what he talked because we talked it was an ex it's an excellent class and we covered it well Wednesday night but there's so much here for us to consider I think it's good for us to spend another period of time looking at this idea of drifting drifting is a danger we need to be aware of it and the writer of Hebrews calls out that danger and warns us of the danger of drifting. Let's look at what this passage teaches us about drifting. First off, the two-letter word we is important for us to focus on. The danger of drifting is for us. You know, we can see the error in others, and we can see others drifting. We see the errors and the dangers of denominationalism. We see the error and danger of congregations focusing on the social and the physical and how that that causes them to drift away. We see how soft preaching and being unwilling to preach on difficult subjects, subjects that might make people uncomfortable, might force people to have to make a change in their lives, how avoiding that, that preaching and preaching just soft preaching, we see how that causes drift in others in congregations. We also see how congregations can drift from the truth of the gospel when they're compromising with the world, when they're compromising with error, when they're unwilling to take a stand for what is right, when congregations apparently are more interested in numerical growth than they are in spiritual growth. We see how those congregations can drift. I want to tell you that's true, but when we focus on others to the extent that we ignore our own status, we're in danger. We're in danger of drifting. We must give the more, more earnest heed. We can drift away. You, I, can drift. It's a danger, and we need to be aware of it and realize it. Hebrews chapter 3, the next chapter, verse 12, says this, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Do you see the danger? Each of us needs to be aware that we could be drifting, and we need to be on guard against it. Chapter 3, verse 12 says, Lest any of you, lest any of you depart from the living God. That's for all of us. That's not just for the young Christian. That's not just for the new Christian. That's not just for the weak Christian. That's for any of us in this room today. We can drift away. And we've seen it, haven't we? We've seen people that we thought were strong Christians, that were firmly grounded. We've seen them drift away. It wouldn't take long for us to put together a long list of people who have drifted away from the truth. People just like you, sitting in a pew like you, have drifted away. This appears to be what has happened to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 4. Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly. And remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. It happened to them, I believe. They drifted away. And it could happen to us. And it could have happened to us already, by the way. We could have drifted away. Drifting is a danger for us. 
Furthermore, I want to tell you that drifting is, a day, is harder to detect when you're with others that are drifting. The writer says here, lest we drift away. You sense motion by looking at the objects around you, don't you? Have you ever been sitting in traffic, maybe with your head down or looking away, and out of the corner of your eye, your eye detects motion of the cars in f- beside you moving? Have you ever had the sensation that you were moving backwards because you saw something out of your eye moving? You detect motion by the objects that are around you. And if you were in a boat that was drifting out in the open water where there were other boats around you, but everybody was moving at the same pace, you wouldn't be able to tell that you're drifting. When you're around others that are drifting, it's very hard to tell if you're drifting. And so it is with us. When we're with others who are drifting at the same rate as us, we won't realize we're drifting. We have to be careful about that. Entire churches drift away into error and are unaware of that because everybody everybody else at church is engaged in the same error. They're drifting together. Maybe it's in the areas of dress where the standard of modesty and, and what is appropriate changes. And we dress like everybody else at church, and so we must be okay because we've drifted together. Maybe it's in our choice of entertainment and what we view for entertainment or listen to for entertainment. Well, that family went to watch this movie, so we're going to take our family to go watch that movie. They like this television show, this show on the Internet, and so we're going to watch this show. And we drift together. And maybe it's in the area of priorities. Whole congregations have their priorities shifted away from God onto things that are less important. And they do it together. And everybody thinks it's okay because we drift together. Drifting is a danger for us, and it's hard to detect if others are drifting with us. To illustrate how dangerous it is and how hard it is to detect, I think we go to Galatians chapter 2, beginning verse 11. Peter had drifted from the truths that he had been told directly as a, from, with a revelation from God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Peter had drifted from those truths that he knew about the Gentiles. He had drifted away. You know what the rest of the Jews did? They drifted with him. Even Barnabas drifted with Peter. When you're around other people who are drifting, the danger is that you drift with them and you never know that you've left the truth. It's a danger. It's pr- the problem is real. And there's a problem when we gauge ourselves and we gauge our well-being based upon other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, 
but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Brethren, it's dangerous for us to gauge our spiritual well-being based on brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and I'm with them, so I must be okay. Drifting is harder to detect when you're with others who are drifting. Furthermore, this passage goes on and tells us that we must give the more earnest heed. We need to be on guard to avoid drifting. We must give the more earnest well-being. We need to be on guard against drifting. If you were in a boat in the Niagara River, above Niagara Falls, I can guarantee every one of us would be watching very closely to make sure that that anchor was holding and that we weren't budging an inch. I'm afraid in our spiritual life, though, we don't give as much care and concern to make sure that we're not drifting. We become relaxed in our walk with Christ. We want to put our life on autopilot and just let it go. Instead of being on guard, to make sure that we're standing strong in the principles of God's Word. The Scriptures tell us we have to give more earnest heed. Paul warned Timothy of this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this you will both save yourself and those who hear you. Paul thought the world of Timothy, didn't he? Paul said he had no one like-minded like Timothy, as like-minded as him. They were, he felt so highly of Timothy, but he had to warn him, didn't he? He had to warn Timothy, make sure you stay grounded. Make sure you give earnest heed to this. Be studying and reading and grounding yourself in this. It's so important. The danger is real. We've got to be on guard against drifting. We must give the more earnest heed. And what are we giving heed to? We need to give heed to those things that you have heard. I want to tell you, we avoid drifting that boat. We avoid drifting by attaching to that anchor or tying off to the dock so that we don't drift away. If you want to keep your boat from drifting, you attach it to a fixed point. Last year, not about a little less than a year ago, we took the boys, uh, Ben and David and I did, to an island out on Percy Priest Lake to go camping. And we used my boat, which is not much bigger than a tin can, to get out on that island. It's not much of a boat, but it did get us back and forth. But when we got to that island, I have a little anchor that I keep in the boat. I didn't trust that little anchor to be thrown out to keep my boat where it was because I realized if the boat was gone, we were stuck on that island. I tied the boat to a tree, and I tied it very tight because that was our way off. A few years ago, Nikki's parents took a little boat ride on the river near their house, and they took a little picnic lunch, and they floated down the river, and they didn't tie off their boat. And as they're eating lunch, they look up, and the boat is floating down the river. It's drifting away, and Nikki's dad had to jump in and swim after it. I wish I had been there to see that. We have to attach ourselves to a fixed point if we don't want our boat to drift. And in the religious world today, it's no different. 
We've got to attach ourselves to a fixed point. Yet, in the religious world, what do you hear people talk about? You hear them talking about their religious journey. You know, you know we're constantly going to go to new places in our faith on this journey. We, for example, used to be very convinced that homosexuality was wrong. But we're further on our journey today, and, and, and our journey has brought us to understand that it's not really wrong after all. We used to be firmly committed that instrumental music was wrong and unscriptural. But our journey has opened up our eyes, and we now realize how encouraging and uplifting instrumental music can be. And, you know, I don't think it's wrong after all. I'm on this journey. I used to think women preachers were condemned by the Bible, but now I embrace it because I'm enlightened. And this, my journey, I'm further along on my journey. You might call it a journey, but you know what? People who are drifting are on a journey too, aren't they? When you're drifting, you're on a journey. We're not on a journey, brethren. We need to hold fast to the truths of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning of verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Hold fast to the truths of the gospel. These truths don't change. If homosexuality was wrong a hundred years ago, it's wrong today. I don't care what journey you're on. Truths don't change. Hold fast to them. And I've said it many times before, and we need to keep saying it. We've got to drive stakes in the ground, don't we? On these principles that we know are true. And we need to hold on to those principles. Don't drift. Keep coming back to those principles that I know are true. I'm not on a journey. I'm holding fast to the principles of God's Word. There are some, though, who think that we need to never be sure about anything. That everything needs to be challenged. Have you ever been in a Bible class with somebody like that who wanted to challenge everything and wanted to throw mud in the water about everything and keep everything stirred up? And people think that everything has to be vague or ambiguous so you can't be sure about anything. And if you're sure and if you're convinced about the truths of the gospel, then you're just closed-minded and you're not very intellectual. No. The Scriptures say we need to hold fast. The truth is absolute. And we're to hold fast to that. We're to tie off onto that so that we don't drift. And this speaks to the type of preaching that we need. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 12. 2 Peter 1, beginning of verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Peter says these are absolute truths and you need to be reminded of them. And I know it might seem like a conflict of interest for the preacher to tell you what kind of sermons you need to hear. But Peter says you need to hear sermons about things that you've always already heard about. Things that you already know. You need to be reminded of them because if you're not reminded of these things, the temptation is that you will drift away from them. You need to keep coming back to what you've heard. You need to keep coming back to what you know. You need to keep coming back to the truth and make sure you're tied off 
to it. We shouldn't be looking for something that's new or groundbreaking. For those of us who are preparing lessons, we need to be reminded of this. You don't have to come up with something new and earth-shattering and groundbreaking. You need to come back to the truth. And if everybody in the room has already heard that truth good, they need to be reminded of that truth, lest they drift. We need to be careful about drifting, finally, because of what we read in Hebrews chapter 2, where it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The stakes are high. The consequences of drifting away from the truths of the gospel are high. Our souls are at stake. If we, if we neglect this salvation, if we drift, Hebrew writer tells us we will not escape punishment. It's that important. Our salvation is dependent on us not drifting. There are a lot of ifs about our salvation in the Bible. And being steadfast and not drifting is one of those ifs. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We've got to hold fast. Our souls are at stake. Just like your soul would be at stake if you were in the Niagara River, so it is for us spiritually. Lest we drift away. Drifting is dangerous. Have you drifted? Have you drifted away? Are you attached to the firm principles of God's Word? If you're here this morning and you drifted, you've got to come back. You've got to come back to those principles that you knew before. Stand fast on them and live your life directed by those truths. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian. There's no better time than to become one than right now. If there's anything we can do to help you, will you let us know?